0: to me sex sexual health is kind of like the gateway drug like people come to me because they're having some kind of sexual problem but it's it's almost it's very rarely you know like a genitalia problem like it's usually something else like it's a hormonal problem it's a cardiovascular problem it's a stress problem it's a you know diet problem like it's it's something else that's generally causing that and so they become interested because they want to improve their sex life But what I'm able to do then is kind of wiggle them around to actually improving their whole general health, which is why I think the longevity piece of it's actually really important. It's not just about sexual health. It's literally about just health. Sexual health is just a piece of health. It's just one of the many facets of health.
1: Good afternoon and welcome to the Happy Pair Podcast. Good morning, good evening too, if you're listening to this time of the day. I'm Dave and this is my fellow identical twin brother. Stephen James, Donald Flynn, and welcome to The Happy Pair Podcast. We're delighted to have you. As always, this is a wonderful opportunity to have a conversation with someone that is to inspire you, to leave takeaways, to make it practical, interesting, and educational. Today, today, we got a wonderful juicy topic. Obviously, it's part of our Sex and Connection series. Uh, today, we talk with a wonderful medical doctor, Dr. Amy Killen. Killen. And um, she's amazing, incredibly articulate. We get into the kind of nuts and bolts about, you know, what kind of inhibits our sexual drive, what hormones drive. We talk about menopause. We talk about orgasms. We talk about female orgasms. we talk about the G-spot. We, we talk co- about masturbation. We covered a lot of really interesting topics. And it was very interesting to hear it all from a medical point of view and hear the science on it. And a lot of it came back to lifestyle. There was a lot of it came back to like, sex can almost be a function of our health. Anyway, it's a fabulous listen to it. I found it so just so useful, so practical and all in this kind of lovely, just Amy's fabulous. She really is. And as I said, it, a lot of it came back to the lifestyle. And on the 1st of November, we start our Happy Mind Challenge, which is all about forming healthy lifestyle habits, which will... What is it, Dave? Is it, is it's, it like a... It's an online course. It's a four-week online course. We had 1,200 people do it last March and we're running it again because a lot of people were asking about it. We partnered with a performance psychologist ourselves as kind of recipes and the lifestyle section. We've got yoga, we've got breath work. It's all done online on our app and it's all designed for you to eat more fruit and veg, to move more. That sounds cool bed. Dave, where do I learn more about that? Great question Steve you'll find more information on the happypear.ie. Under the Woo-hoo. courses tab you'll find the happy mind. Starts on November the 1st, it's brilliant. I, yeah if you're interested it gets incredible results. Anyway, back to the podcast, this is a wonderful conversation. Amy is inspiring, enlightening, practical and really gives you nuts and bolts solutions to common day problems that we have in terms of our sexual health. Yeah, and as we said, this is part of our Sex and Relationship series. So if you like this one, check out the other ones. Enjoy the podcast. Cheers. We're, we're genuinely, we're super, super delighted to have you. We really are. And I guess the first place, like, let's jump right in it. Like, I'm curious, you know, someone, as you being a doctor that specializes in sex, longevity and skin and multiple facets. Um, Like, did you grow up in a home that was very kind of open about sex? Was it something that you thought, I want to be a doctor that specializes in sex as a young child or what like how did you go, get into this or how does because it doesn't you know uh,
0: yeah no not at all so i grew up um, in in texas south texas which is a very um heavily religious heavily uh, high protestant sort of more churches than you know anything else uh, kind of place in fact i like to tell a story of my my elementary school was surrounded on three different sides by churches and the fourth side by the neighborhood gun store. So <laughs> <laughs> that's where I grew up. Um, I remember when I was, you know, in like middle school, asking my mom what a virgin was, and she said it was someone who'd never been married. So that's that's kind of how I grew up. <laughs> um, and actually, I wasn't. I, I I initially started out as an ER doctor, as you may know, and I was so to emergency medicine for the first ten years of my career. That's what I trained in. That's what I thought I was going to do forever. Um, but then towards the end of that, I had a kind of a lot of life changes of my own. I had twins. I have i have identical girl twins. Um, no way. I want to get to yeah. talk about that in a
1: bit. I want to yes, talk about know, that in a bit. The whole time. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> and um, I essentially went through a period of change where I was like, you know what, I think I want to learn something else. And so I started becoming interested in preventative medicine and anti-aging medicine and longevity and all these things. And then somewhere along the line, I had all these patients coming to me to ask me uh, for help with either their skin health or their sex lives and so i became just like fascinated by these two sort of disparate um, you know topics in health and ended up bringing them together under this one umbrella
1: wow brilliant well definitely the one we want to focus on today is sex but I, I also exciting. I also think like sex is always seen as this separate thing. At least growing up in Ireland, it seemed like something in the in the, that's you know in the bedroom, and you don't talk about it. And it's it, it, at least this was the way, it, it, kind of the environment that we grew up. But you know, the body naturally is kind of fully interdependent and fully all intertwined and interlinked in so many different ways and sex we always see as this separate but it's like you start healing one aspect of your body and it starts healing more aspects and similarly contrary as you start doing damage to one aspect it ripples into everything so I'm sure it's all linked we've we've learned with kind of cardiovascular health that the more you kind of heal your cardiovascular function the more less likely you're to have ed or erectile dysfunction
0: yeah absolutely I feel like sex is to me sex, sexual health is kind of like the gateway drug like people come to me because they're having some kind of sexual problem but it's it's almost it's very rarely you know like a genitalia problem like it's usually something else like it's a hormonal problem it's a cardiovascular problem it's a stress problem it's a you know diet problem like it's it's something else that's generally causing that and so they become interested because they want to improve their sex life but what I'm able to do then is kind of wiggle them around to actually improving their whole general health, which is why I think the longevity piece of it's actually really important. It's not just about sexual health; it's literally about just health. Sexual health is just a piece of health. It's just one of the many facets of health.
1: And it's kind of like a catchy kind of gateway. It's kind of like, oh, sex. Oh, can I ask you more about that? You know, it's very clickbaity. It's suddenly like, oh, wow, cool.
0: Yeah, it's a it's a good gateway drug.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it really is. And so, so after the few years, after like the last number of years of you kind of being going deep into this space and kind of immersing yourself and from your background, I guess, of being where it wasn't necessarily on the table, you weren't sitting around the kitchen table talking about mom, what's a blow job or whatever it might be. <laughs> it was, it sounds like, you know, in your latter years, you've more grown into it. And and what are some of the common things or what are the main, like, you know, like, yeah, what are things that you've learned or what are, you know, big top, that's a very open-ended that's question. It's a very broad question, but, David. But there, there, there probably is things, you know.
0: Biggest thing is that 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 sex isn't really that big of a deal. Like it's important, but it's not that big of a deal to talk about. Like there's no reason that we can't talk about this like at dinner parties or in front of our kids. I have my kids are I have 13 year old twins and I have an 11 year old, and uh, you know, and I'll I try to integrate. Uh, sex as as any sort of just reg- a regular topic that we would have conversations around. And of course, my kids are always like squeamish and they don't want to hear me and they don't want to listen. But I think it's important to make it something that um it, that we're not ashamed of. It's just it's one other thing that our body does. And, and so that's the biggest thing I've learned.
1: That's brilliant. And as a like where you grew up, where it wasn't really talked about, how have you changed that with your kids? Like what's been your approach?
0: I just kind of like we'll throw it into conversations. Like if it's, if, you know, if it's supposed to naturally come into that conversation, I don't pull away from it. Like I let them hear that conversation or like they've seen videos of me on online. They're, you know, they're, they've, they watched, there was a video on YouTube where I was talking about shockwave therapy for men with erectile dysfunction. And in the video, I'm holding this like prosthetic penis, which is like, it's large. It's very realistic looking and it's very bizarre, but the video got a lot of views. And so then there was like a lot of comments. And so somehow my kids found this video and I guess they watched it and then they read like you know, all two thousand comments, which half of which were just completely inappropriate. But I like I wanted to have that discussion with them because, because they're like, "Mom, what in the world are you doing on YouTube with this thing?" and it's so embarrassing. And I was like, "Yeah, but it's really just a piece of health." And so we were able to have that conversation about it.
1: That's brilliant. Yeah, because even I know with my kids, my wife's a psychologist and she was all very much, she was brought up in quite a religious um, home where they didn't necessarily talk about sex. Not that unlike ours. I remember when we were, we were probably 12 when mom and dad sat us down and because there was two of us being twins and and dad said the word penis and the pair of us were just giggling. You know, just giggling and (laughs) so... All I I can remember that was dad said, always wear a hat when you're going swimming, sons. (laughs) Or something like that. And that was like... We didn't go into any of the detail of anything. You know, we were kind of on our own. Like, that's as far as I remember. The only thing I remember is always wear a hat when you're swimming, lads. Yeah, but it was just, it wasn't oh spoken about. And I remember recently I had to, you know, I think it was Theo. Theo, my son, he's eight. He goes, Dad, what's sex? And I had to just explain it so point blank. Well, you got a willy, you know, so a girl will have a vagina. And typically this is how kids are made. And I had to kind of go into it and just say it's so matter of fact. And he just goes, oh, OK, cool. Can we go play football now? And that was it. And it was so different from the one like we, it was, in ours, it was almost like now lads at 8 p.m. We're having our, our sex education talk and get ready for it. And it was something that was such a big deal. And it was so that I, I think right. it's so, the, the importance is just having these conversations and getting it out in the open and just seeing it as a natural part of the human experience. Yeah,
0: because, yeah. you know, as you know, like if we don't talk about it, you know, as we're kids then we we kind of have the shame around it, even though we as we get older, like we don't we don't really mean to like at this point, like, I'm, you know, I'm we, we know it's an okay thing, but we still have these ideas from like when we were kids, like, oh, well, we shouldn't talk about it. And I shouldn't talk to my friends about it. And I shouldn't talk to my spouse about it or, you know, like, and so I think that if we can kind of just, just kind of break that down a little bit and make it not, um, not that big of a deal, it makes it, it makes it better. I'm hoping we'll see. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, I, think, yeah, I, think. yeah I love it. Oh, okay. Down to like, you know, so there's, all, m- most of us are interested in sex and obviously everyone has different appetites and different desires and different interests. You know, in terms of health as a doctor, like for people that are in a relationship, is there kind of a magic number that you find, okay, people should be having sex seven times a week for optimum <laughs> health or people should be having sex once a month or on their birthday or like, what do you, like I've heard kind of people, I've heard various different answers to this. So I'd be curious of what you found and what you think
0: there's not one magic answer first of all i think everyone's appetite is very different and i i would never want anyone to feel bad that they were doing it too much or too little like that's the last thing we need right like it's for you to, to feel bad about how often it's happening I will say that in the studies that have been done where they look at sex as a measurement of health, you know, and they look at like mortality and sex rates and things like that, what they look at is generally one to two times a week is sort of that, that sort of magic number that they're studying. So like, for instance, there was a big uh, Welsh study years ago where they took um, like about a thousand men and over 10 years, they just monitored these guys um, and the ones who were having sex, you know, one to two times a week had overall a 50% reduction in overall mortality during that 10 year period compared to men who had, you know, very, very little sex or, or, or much lower uh, doses of sex, if you will. So, and that's the number <laughs> I that, that I've quoted, <laughs> that I've seen quoted several times, you know, whether it's looking at immune function or blood pressure, you know, control or sleep or things like that is about one or two times a week seems to be a pretty good uh, thing to aim for. But obviously more is, is great um, and less is fine. It's just, that's where that, that's where the studies looked at.
1: That's a nice one. That's a nice one. And in terms of like, because I know we were we were chatting earlier about the Blue Zones. About- yeah, and they were, they were kind of, at least it was Dan Buettner who was talking about saying that in Ikaria, in Greece, that... Um, between the ages of 65 and 100, they found 80% of the people that were studied were still having sex, which I thought was amazing. So like this sense of, you know, and the Blue Zones for anyone who not it familiar. It's, um, you know, the areas in the world was the most amount of centenarian. So people over so, the age of 100. So, so what's, what's your experience between sex and longevity? Like, do you find like as like because to me, like in my experience and my limited P on mind I think like sex for people that are interested in sex it's a good marker of health as you said like sexual function works and your appetite libido all those type of things so I imagine as you get older if you still have an appetite for sex it's probably representation of your health so do you find as people get older that that's you know I, I don't have a specific question there but
0: yeah no I think that that's true it's, it's a marker of, of all different types of health right like it's physical health because you know especially for men in order to actually you know have intercourse you have to have Pretty decent cardiovascular health you have to have you know ED when you have ED it's a, it's a long-term inflammation and all these problems so you have to be generally healthy as you get older um, but it's not just physical health like in order to sort of have a good healthy sexual relationship you also have to have you know, pretty good mental health, emotional health, social health, like, you know, a decent relationship with your partner or partners. Um, so it's, it's kind of a combination of all the healths kind of coming together. So I, you know, in my patients, I, I tend to see people, people who are interested in continuing to be able to be healthy, um, because they do all of these, you know, health practices, and they're, they're excited about staying, um, staying young for a long time. And so for them, it is, it's super important that, that they maintain their, their sexual health, as well as everything else.
1: Cool. I have a good one. Uh, So so a friend of mine, a, a a friend of ours, she's cool and she's super busy. She like lives a really busy life and she says like, oh yeah, we just schedule our sex. We always schedule our sex. Like this is her and her partner because she says like, if we don't, it doesn't happen. And she says, like, we'll literally put it in the diary because our lives are so busy and things and what, whatever. And she said, then we actually make time for it. And there's like, it seems like there's different schools of thoughts in terms of this, that other people like spontaneous sex and the spontaneity of it. But then with modern life, what do you find? What's your experience in terms of this? Or does that completely de- just depend on the, the person?
0: Yeah, it's very dependent. I think that I think the scheduling is you know t- makes total sense. Like a lot of us have our entire days blocked out. Like I don't know, if, I'm sure you guys, your calendar is just like every single hour you have something that's going on. And, and I know for myself, if I don't schedule it, it, it doesn't happen. Except you know if there's some, there's a little bit of leeway on the weekends, but like during the weekdays, there's there's no extra time. So I think if you have a life like that, if you don't schedule it, it may not happen. Um, but you know, obviously the, the goal would be for to be able to be spontaneous, at least sometimes. Um, but that's, that's pretty difficult sometimes if we have kids and jobs and all these other things going on.
1: Yeah, that's a nice one. Okay. I've got another one in terms of, uh, so a good friend of ours who we used to work with, he's, he was, a, he's a like, he's a proper, like man's man. He throws axes. He's like got tattoos all over. He's like, he's like, you know. Like women love him, men love him. Like he's a cool dude, really, really cool dude. And he was always, he always had the opinion that, okay, lads, when I hit 40, I'm going to start testosterone replacement therapy because he said, it, you know, that's what makes you a man. Like testosterone so important. And he used to say that as you get older... I can't remember what the number was every every year over the age of 30, you use, lose 5% testosterone or something, was. whatever, yeah, whatever kind of study had. And I'm very curious of the role that testosterone has to play in sex, because my understanding is that as a man, testosterone is quite important for your, you know, your sense of libido and various different things. And also in a woman, I've read that it can influence a woman's libido too quite. So, so I'd love to know more about that.
0: Yeah, testosterone is very important for both men and women. Certainly for men, it's kind of the primary hormone that we talk about, the primary sex hormone. And you're right, starting about age 40, it's going to go down by about 1% per year. But that depends a lot on what what else you're doing, right? Like uh, we know now our, our population of men in general in the world, testosterone levels are much lower than they used to be 50 years ago. And that's because we're not doing a lot of the things that keep testosterone up. So we're not lifting heavy weights. We're not staying active. We're not, you know, we're we're, we're not, um, we're, we have we have more weight and more uh, obesity than we used to. Obviously we're eating, we're eating foods that are not healthy. Um, so there's all of these things that contribute to low testosterone and, and the environmental uh, things that we choose every day is part of that um but having said that when you when you have lower testosterone it does affect obviously it affects your libido it affects your ability to have erections as well as your interest in sex um but it also affects just like general motivation like your desire to get up and go to work or your desire to get up and go to the gym um it affects your mood a lot of men who have low testosterone just kind of feel kind of blah or have like you know deb- depression symptoms um it affects you know all kinds of cardiovascular health and things like that and and long term low testosterone um is a is a big uh, it's a big risk factor for everything from diabetes to obesity, to just, you know, early, um, early death from all different causes. So I do think that paying attention to testosterone is important. Um, ideally using lifestyle, you know, to, to increase testosterone and just making good choices and eating enough protein and exercising and all of these things. Um, but then if, if that's not happening, I think supplementation is, is a good option for men and women.
1: And yeah. what what's the is there equivalent to hormone in women like because uh, like my own association I know women have testosterone as well but it seems like testosterone is more associated with males is there equivalent in females like is estrogen or progesterone are those yeah. hormones which yeah. are more linked to fit, women and is that and libido you're bringing yeah, yeah I'm curious with the sexual relationship, so really? well
0: with women estrogen is the primary hormone that, that does that's kind of the most important hormone for women um, it is a, it does have a role in libido but it it's not it's not quite like men with with women they also need testosterone so you want to have testosterone really you know same same for the same reasons like for for the motivation for kind of that drive for um for burning abdominal fat and kind of being able to build muscle uh, as well as for libido and that's true for both men and women testosterone is important for that but for women estrogen is the one that when that one goes down which is not till after menopause usually in women then that creates a lot of increased risk for a lot of other health problems you know osteoporosis and heart disease and um, and skin aging and, and, and all these things like that so women really need estrogen testosterone and then progesterone as well men need a testosterone they need some estrogen which they'll make from testosterone um, but if you give them testosterone or if they're making it they'll make a little bit of estrogen too which is also they also need a little bit of that
1: And how do you measure these things? Because it's not like I walk down and go, oh, geez, I feel really low in testosterone today, Steve. What should I do? You know, like, it's not like, how do you, is it just indicative that you feel unhealthy or something or you feel lack of motivation as a male? And as a female, how do you kind of likewise, how would you know that you're low in oestrogen?
0: Well, for women, it's usually kind of a, you know, there's about a two-year period where they go through menopause, where all the hormones just go from like, you know, fairly high to just, they just kind of plummet. And so wow. it's, a, it's a quick drop off down a cliff <laughs> for women. <laughs> um, for men with testosterone, it's a much slower, much slower decline, but you can measure them pretty easily. You can just get, you know, blood tests are probably the easiest thing that you can do anywhere in the world to measure hormones. There are other ways you can do, you know, salivary tests or urine tests, but I think the blood test is the, the most universal test to measure any of these hormones.
1: Bones. And, and for can, oh, sorry, yeah, you go. And, and in terms of just lifestyle factors that we can all do to kind of keep our say for any man listening who wants to kind of elevate their keep their testosterone level high, or any woman similarly that or estrogen, are are they the simple basic measures? Are there anything that people can kind of basically apply? Is there any secret thing, or is it just the basics of kind of healthy lifestyle, as in exercise, sleep, etc.?
0: Yeah, for testosterone, it's you know it's 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 lift heavy things, so a lot of resistance training, exercise, both cardiovascular kind of hit training, as well as just as resistance training. Um, it's making sure you get enough protein, um, making sure that you get enough vitamin D and zinc and selenium and some of that like branched chain amino acids, um, making sure that you are, you know, watching your blood sugar and, and watching your, your stomach, especially, uh, Abdominal fat. It, when you have more abdominal fat, that's going to increase your risk for low testosterone. Um, getting some sunlight can help. Uh, but you know, it is really, it's a lot and cutting out the sugar, it's it's really a lot of lifestyle stuff that's going to be the most beneficial for increasing testosterone. Estrogen is a little bit different. I mean, with women in general, estrogen, no matter what you do, when you go through menopause, your ovaries just stop working and estrogen levels are gonna are gonna really come down pretty quickly. So I do feel pretty strongly that. That replacing estrogen and and uh, testosterone and, and progesterone in women after menopause can be really helpful for for most people. Maybe not everyone, but it, there's not easy ways to increase estrogen, you know, like there is for testosterone.
1: And is that how it works? Like so? Like I remember mom when we were younger. She went. Tr- she did HRT through tr- the menopause or whatnot. And they, we were like teenage boys, so I can't remember much other than highly ignorant. We were, yeah, we, we, we were. You know, we're from a family yeah. of all boys. But I wondered. Um, like, so menopause, obviously, like, as you said, testosterone, is a lower decline. So, so I'd imagine me, possibly males' libido might slowly get less, like, com- from their age of 20 or 40 or whatever it is. Whereas with women, what you're saying is there's a typically drop off when they hit menopause and estrogen and testosterone and, and, and the, Progest- other, the other hormone you mentioned. And, like, does that mean that their appetite for sex just kind of falls off a cliff then, in a sense?
0: You know, it's interesting because a lot of women will start seeing declines in testosterone before menopause. So like in that maybe 10 years before menopause, you might start seeing declines in testosterone, um, which can affect um, sex, sex life and all of that. Uh, and some people after menopause will have declines in, in sexual interest for sure. Cause you lost a lot of hormones, but it's what I see is not so much declines in interest in sex in women after menopause. It's that the, the tissues are all changing. When you lose, when you lose estrogen, your, your vaginal tissues become very different. They, you know, the, the skin, uh, the vaginal, uh, the vaginal lining becomes thinner and more irritated and more painful and you lose lubrication. And so it's all of a sudden things that used to feel good, don't feel as good. And they're kind of painful if you don't start to supplement either estrogen or or good lubricants or things like that. So I see a lot of women who still want to keep having sex, but because of the changes in their body, it doesn't, feel quite the same way and, and yeah we can those are, th- there are things that we can do about that that's not a they're, they're easy fixes um but then some women just yeah become less interested it just really depends on the person um but that is it is a for men it's very variable and for women it's like it, you know kind of hits them all at once
1: wow and then well, that, does hrt kind of what does hrt m- mean hormone replacement ter- therapy sorry therapy just, therapy sorry in ireland we're not so good at saying ths or at least i'm not so good at saying ths <laughs> But but with the reduction of say um, these hormones through menopause, with the introduction of HRT, does that kind of emit some of these ailments occurring, or do, how, how does that affect it? Because I know HRT, and it it seems to be quite defi- divided. Lots of people are pro it, and there's lots of people who are aren't Less for it. I, I'm 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 quite ignorant now, but this is just observing yeah. from a distance.
0: So there was a big study in 2002 that came out that showed that. Uh, so hormone replacement therapy at the time was all, um, there were sort of synthetic estrogen and progester- progesterone sources that they were using. So they were using a a um, horse urine as an estrogen source and they were using another synthetic source for progesterone. And what they found was that women who were taking these, these hormones had an increased risk of certain types of cancer and more importantly, an increased risk of, of stroke and some, you know, cardiovascular disease and blood clots and things. So they, they stopped the study and they said everyone should get off of their hormone replacement therapy. Um, since that time, a lot of the, the, the you know the things have changed and that what we realized was that it was really this progesterone, this sort of synthetic progestin that was being used at that time that was really kind of the bad player. It was causing a lot of inflammation and it was causing a lot of the increased stroke risk and things. Um, so there are now a lot of different types of ways to do um, HRT that are sort of bioidentical hormones, for instance, where you're taking hormones that are just like the hormones that you already have in your body, that are much are much more safe, and you don't have any of those side effects. And so, yes, when you take hormone replacement therapy, then you can you can essentially turn back, you know, the, the clock on all of those things, where you can still have healthy tissues, and you can still have all the sex drive and motivation, and you don't have the night the night sweats or um, hot flashes or things like that. Wow!
1: And then when you come off HRT, does it all? That's it? Suddenly, like. Woo off a cliff again or is it is it something like once you start HRT you're on it till till, till the end or do you wean it depends you know you got, different
0: doctors have different approaches I think that my approach actually is because I use bioidentical um hormones like the, the ones that you know are just match what your match what your body already makes i keep patients you know on these things if they feel good and their labs look good then we'll just keep them on them for longer periods of time my, you know my mom is in her mid-70s and she's still taking estrogen and progesterone um, and that's because i know it's so good for her bones and her her heart and her brain and you know and all these different organs and i you know why would you want to stop having having things that are good for those parts of your body. But some doctors will just have, have patients on replacement therapy for five years or so, and then they'll kind of take them off of it. And then they, you don't tend to have as many side effects when you come off of it later on for some reason.
1: Like it nearly starts coming into that. Like, I remember we, uh, you know, Sergey Young, we spoke with Sergey. And yeah. Sergey, you know, it came up about that kind of point at what point do the ethics of longevity start to come in? At what point are we starting to play, you know, not necessarily God, but the, at what point are we starting to possibly, you know, go too far? And this sounds like this is kind of the start of humans being able to, you know, increase their life quality. And it sounds like it's hugely beneficial in so many different ways.
0: Yeah, and I think that you know I'm I'm kind of with with Sergey on the idea that we really you know we're obviously trying to promote longevity, not just to increase lifespan, but to increase health span. So I think that that's the most important thing to start with: is can we make people healthier for longer? And I feel like things like hormone replacement, whether that's testosterone or estrogen or progesterone, um, as well as some of the different medications and things that are that are coming online pretty soon, that essentially can help us stay stay healthier longer, you know, those are all great things. They may not prolong our life, but if they can keep us, you know, moving and active and, and energetic and healthy, then I think that's a, that's a win
1: for me. And nice. is that something that in men, like, I you know, I've heard of HRT for menopauses and I've heard someone else using the phrase menopause, you know, and I imagine that refers. I, I think the first thing does menopause exist I think as, a doctor, <laughs> as a doctor, <laughs> does does it, doctor, does it exist? And the second part of my question was about HRT for testosterone for males.
0: Yeah, so we call it andropause because an androgen is, the, is basically the man. Andropause. That's a manopause. Andropause it, uh, is is the same kind of idea. Again, it's kind of a slower process for men, but yeah, andropause is a real thing. And we, you know, you could do a couple of different things. If if you're pretty young, like 40s or 50s, and you have low testosterone, then we can give you medications for, you know, that could actually increase your own testosterone production. So it just makes your testes make more testosterone, and that's an option. If you know, if you're pretty, if you're pretty young, as you get older, eventually the testes just stop making very much testosterone, they're just like, ah, I'm tired. This is I'm getting, you know. I wanna rest. Um, and at that point, if you're interested in doing like testosterone uh, replacement therapy, you we're actually giving, you know, injections of testosterone or pellets or different things where we give you testosterone to keep your levels up, that becomes the option at that point.
1: And part of me can't help imagining like the old guy going in, getting his testosterone shot, shot, and coming out in the nursing home and starting fights, <laughs> you know, because he's all <laughs> jacked up and come on. Uh, it, yeah. Obviously, this is not the case, but it, this just my mind went off. Or is, there. It, is it kind of like Popeye walking in, you know, as an old man in a cane and then he takes his cans of spinach and boom, he's oh, like, oh. he's got his muscles pop out of I, his head and all? I
0: think is a uh, definite uh, preconception that's not quite right it's really not unless you get like really 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 high levels of testosterone like the roid rage like the steroid rage that you that you hear about these guys are taking you know three four five six times the dose of testosterone that you would take just to you know to have normal levels and so you're not generally going to have those kind of side effects unless you're just getting too much and if you are then you need to pull back i mean there's certainly some side effects with any of these things if you get too much um, you can get acne you know with too much testosterone you can get um, you can get shrinking of your testes which is you know pretty common um, and so there are things that can happen for sure and we monitor for all those things but um, the getting super aggravated is not the most common thing because we just don't go with super high levels
1: well i never thought of testosterone that it comes from the testes that's where it's made i never put that link that's yeah (laughs) (laughs) me too actually okay i I want to move it in a different direction one one final one on the topic of hormones is hormones like i remember it was a friend's dad he had um what's it called Uh, uh, prostate Prostate. cancer and he was taking all sorts of medication that was kind of reducing his testosterone and he found out it was almost like he watched his dad or his dad's friend kind of almost go through something like a menopause and he was having emotional bursts he was having hot flushes he was much more in touch with his feelings he'd suddenly it was almost like his whole personality had changed and I wonder is the kind of application of hormone therapy is that a real delicate balance because it seems like it's something that really does have huge effects on the very way Way we see the world.
0: Uh, it, it is a delicate balance, especially for women. With testosterone, it's fairly it's fairly easy to replace testosterone for men. And we can just, you know, we essentially give testosterone, check levels, and then see how patients are doing. And usually it's it's pretty easy to do that. Um, for women, it's, it's much more complex. Uh, you know, women I, I think are the hormones are just a little bit more complex in general because you can you can give if you give too much estrogen um, or they metabolize it in a different way than someone else then you know then you have someone who's maybe yeah, more emotional, or she's gaining weight, or she's got breast soreness, or you know things like that. And so there's there are ups and downs, and it, it's complicated because we all metabolize hormones differently. So like for me, for instance, my my DNA—I've done DNA testing on myself—and I looked at the steroid pathways, and I tend to make more testosterone than um, than like I would estrogen. So I'm sort of more testosterone dominant, which means that later on, if I, when I go through menopause, if you were to give me estrogen my body would like, I'd probably have some more side effects than someone else because I'm just not used to having like high doses of estrogen. So it's very different for each person.
1: Wow. She's it's fascinating that we can get to that level of where we can break down, we can break down, oh, no, no, uh, I don't know, I'm fascinated now that we can kind of break down our genes and kind of almost understand the very instructions for each human. Like, um, I, I, I'm, yeah. very inter- I'm very interested, I'm very interested, like this is moving the, the conversation to a different topic, but I think at the start, you said that we've got 50% less you know maybe i think it was testosterone maybe or something it yeah. said but but I, I i wonder now like do do we have less sex now as a species i'm sure it's impossible to to kind of say But what I'm getting at is now we live in a very stressful society. A lot of people are very busy. There's more cortisol typically probably in our bodies than there was 20, 50 years ago. And I'd love to kind of get your thoughts And we're more obese. We're more obese. There's so many lifestyle factors. There's all these various things. But specifically what I'm curious about is your thoughts as a doctor in terms of stress and it's link to sex and sexual appetite and all these various things, its impact on that because I think it's so prevalent.
0: Oh, yeah. It's and it's a great point. The cortisol, you know, cortisol is kind of inversely related to testosterone. So when cortisol goes up, testosterone goes down and vice versa. Um, and as as you mentioned, you have to have some degree of of relaxation, some degree of sort of rest and relaxed parasympathetic state um, in order to be ready to have sex. Um, if you think about like our ancestors, uh, you know, the the hunters and the the cavemen and people like that, you know, the, the guys are not out chasing saber tooth tigers at, at the same time having sex. Like you're, you're doing one thing at a time. Like you're either like stressed and focused and rare, you know, like fight or flight, or you're like at home and you're making baskets and you're having sex. Like it's, it's sort of two different things. Um, and so I, yeah, I think that there's a lot of evidence that that we're not having as much sex. We're definitely, we definitely know that our sperm counts are going down. There's a lot of um, relationships that are sort of, there's a lot more of these um, non-sexual marriages uh, where people are married, but not having sex or, or like in a lot of countries like Japan, for instance, there's a lot of talk about how the, the the, uh, people who are growing up, the young people are just not as interested in sex. Like they're so much more motivated by going out and making money and social media and kind of all these other pressures that are on them that they're not really dating and they're not really having sex as much. Um, so it's, a, it's an interesting place to be at like when we're, where we're not having sex as much, our sperm counts are going down. Like there's, there's a little bit of a scary like trend happening, I think.
1: Wow. wow. It seems so like, like moving to the kind of sixth big great extinction that, you know, it's obviously Zach Bush always talks about that, but what are the, what are the things that you could, um, Like when you're saying it, like when you say lifestyle, you say it in a general term. And how I understand that is like it's eating less processed foods and eating more plant-based. It's obviously, as you said, parasympathetic. It's like relaxing. It's doing yoga, meditations, whatever. Lying in the bed having a nap all that kind of stuff making baskets having sex i like that line like <laughs> yeah. people making i make baskets and have sex i must suggest <laughs> that hey can we make baskets and have sex night uh, okay and then there's then there's obviously sleep because sleep is challenging in modern society as the founder net of netflix said like they're not competing against amazon they're competing against sleep so, so we had sleep that was the third one and then i think that's all of them is it all the main lifestyle ones
0: um exercise I think exercise, is always yeah, important yeah, as well. Yeah. yeah. And make it yeah, because that's gonna keep you cardiovascularly healthy. Um, which obviously blood flow is, is really important for sex as well. But yeah, I think those are the main things. It's, it's what you eat. It's how often you move. It's how you sleep and it's how you deal with stress. And, and, and also obviously um, nurturing your act, your relationships with the, the people that you're going to be having sex with the person or people um, and, and not, uh, not focusing on your work and all that all the time. But yeah, those are the main things I think it's all the sort of foundational stuff that keeps you healthy is what keeps you sexually healthy.
1: Yeah, it's funny, isn't it, that you don't think about that when people think about oh, we're talking with a doctor about sex. Oh, wow, this is going to be so exciting about techniques. But really, it's about it's about food and sleep and stress and all those sort of things. But 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 even even on the topic of food, because I remember we we work with a cardiologist on our Happy Heart course, and he talks about the importance of nitric oxide and eating foods oh, that, are that's my <laughs> that are high in nitrates. That are high in nitrates because they help with blood flow and they they help raise things up amongst other things like that. So I'd love to know your thoughts in terms of nitric oxide foods that are high in nitrates what and and it is tell us all about that please. I, please, thank I you.
0: love nitric oxide. First of all, thank you so much for setting me up for this. Um, <laughs>
1: I love um, yeah, that. So
0: nitric oxide is the main, it's the main hormone that, that, you know, causes vasodilation. So it causes your blood vessels to open up and lets blood go to different areas. So a lot of people will use nitric, you know, high nitric oxide kind of, you know, pre-workouts before they go to the gym to get their muscles all pumped up. But it's also very important for getting erections, which is, you know, for men and women for getting blood flow down into those areas. And what happens is about half of your nitric oxide, oxide is actually made within your blood vessels. It's made by the blood vessel walls inside. And so as you get older and you start to develop atherosclerosis or plaque in those blood vessels, you can't make as much nitric oxide. So by the time you're 40, you're making about half as much uh, as you were when you were 20. And that just keeps going down, 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 down. Um, and so the problem with that is then you don't have, you don't have the blood flow to, you know, if you want to have sex, you can't get the blood where you need to get it. Um, so that's one of the main causes of erectile dysfunction in men is lack of nitric oxide. And that's actually how medications like Viagra work is they prevent the breakdown of your nitric oxide for a period of time. So it just keeps it around longer. But as you can imagine, if you don't have nitric oxide, it doesn't matter if you you stop the breakdown, that's still not gonna work. So, um, so yeah, so you can get nitric oxide from things like exercise or sunlight or red light therapy. Um, you can get it from hyperbaric oxygen and then you can get it from food, um, specifically plant-based foods that are high in nitrates, which are gonna be things like green leafy vegetables, spinach, arugula, kale, um, beets, of course are high in nitrates. Watermelon. Um, so those are all important. But the other two things that people don't always know about is, number one is that you have to have healthy bacteria in your mouth to convert the nitrates in food to the next step, which is which is nitrites, um, and if you use something like like Listerine or antiseptic mouth mouthwash, where you're killing those good bacteria in your mouth, then you lose the ability to make nitric oxide from food. So you can be eating all the spinach that you, you know, all the spinach and beets all day long, and but if you're using Listerine, you know, every day or twice a day, then you can't actually make nitric oxide wow. from food. So that's kind of important. Yes. Um, and then the second, the second step of that happens in your stomach. Um, so the second step of that conversion from nitrate to nitric oxide, it happens with the stomach acid. So you have to have enough stomach acid to then turn the nitrites into nitric oxide. And a lot of people, millions of people are taking medications that, that decrease stomach acid. Um, like you know, we call them proton pump inhibitors or H2 blockers. These are extremely common medications. They take People take them for, for acid reflux or heartburn um, but they get on them and they don't ever stop. They just take them forever. And what they don't know is that they're messing up their body's ability to make nitric oxide from food. And so now you've lost this major source of something that's pretty amazing. So get rid of your, your mouthwash and talk to your doctor about getting rid of your, your acid blocking medications.
1: Jeez, it sounds like there's such a, like, you know, the way sex is something that we all just assume, like all of us assume assume oh of course I'm gonna have a very healthy appetite to sex and yes wonderful Well, most people I would imagine but uh it seems like there's there's so many in modern day society there's there's so many things that can get in the way of not to mind the emotional issues and the you know the all those other softer less tangible sides you know yeah yeah, wow. yeah it's
0: so fascinating because we all learn about you know our, our sexual education happens in what like eighth grade or something and we learn about sexually transmitted uh, infections. We learned about pregnancy and then that that's it. Like, we're like, all right, you're good. You know, go off and have sex and be healthy. Um, but no one, they, people don't continue the, sexual, the sex ed like as we get older, but there's actually a lot to it. And I think that you're right, like with modern society and sort of the things that are out there and, the, and all of the things that can kind of mess us up, there's a lot of things to dodge and obstacles to kind of, to go around and work around if we really want to stay sexually healthy.
1: Yeah, there yeah. really is. Uh, I, had a, I had a question. Can I, can I just... I just, ask, just about th- n- this is one thing just before I forget. Okay, great. I just great. Of course. Because <laughs> you mentioned ED. We're about excited uh, you here, You talked Amy. about nitrates and nitric oxide and all in terms of ED. And ED is erectile dysfunction. So that's very much for a male. But obviously, like blood flow, I imagine, is just as important in women. Is there a term like the equivalent of ED in women? And how does blood flow and all these type of things show up in women? How would people know that they have a cardiovascular issue related to their sex for women?
0: It, it, women are trickier. Um, I mean, certainly there are with women when we talk about female sexual dysfunction. There are we talk about you know like lo- like uh, arousal problems or desire problems or orgasmic problems or you know like we kind of break it down to like specifically where that where the problem is. Um, but it's a lot harder to to diagnose. Uh, you know, as you can imagine, a, a, like blood flow problems in women than it is for men. With men, it's, it's out there. Like you can see if it's working or if it's not. With women, it's, it's not. And so first the, one of the problems is there just aren't as many studies on women. Um, And I think again, probably part of that is because it's so much more difficult to, to actually see what's going on. A lot of the studies in, in men started out in male rats and they would do these rat studies. There's like, there's, so many rat erectile dysfunction studies. Like you would be amazed if you were to google it. Yeah, so many. Um, <laughs> you got to be the, hard to do, my god. <laughs> but yeah, but you so you can so it'd be hard to imagine you know how you measure a, a, a little rat penis and make sure if it's working. But it's even harder to imagine a mat you know measuring a female rat sexual response. Right, like the little rat clitoris is probably like very very small, and so there's just not as much um, information out there about women. We do know that lack of blood flow is is obviously a problem but we also know that simply fixing the lack of blood flow in women is not going to be as curative as it is in men so for instance using like viagra for instance um you know these medications are going to increase blood flow and you know let you have an erection for a lot longer and these things don't work the same way in women they can increase the blood flow but it doesn't it doesn't trigger the the female to be any more interested in having sex and doesn't trigger the whole sort of sexual cascade in women like it does in men. So the, the physiology is a little bit different, even though it's also kind of the same. Wow. Wow. And then,
1: then for, for any female listening who wants to increase their clitoral sensitivity, because I know, I imagine this is an issue with women is that they just, one, possibly it might be finding it, two, possibly it might be getting more blood flow and more sensitivity and more awareness of it. And obviously a basic thing, One, I'm guessing, sorry, excuse me, this is a man saying this, but, you know, starting to become aware and educating yourself, your vulva, where it is, start with that. But how can one increase sensitivity of one's clitoris and awareness so that they can get more sexual pleasure?
0: I mean, I think the first step is just getting to know your own body. A lot of women, um, you know, were taught like not to look at themselves or touch themselves or explore themselves or any of that, um, and men as well. But but I think a lot of women have uh, just didn't grow up that way and don't aren't like they feel like sort of bad about about that. And I think that if you if you don't know you know where things are, what feels good to you, um, if you can't kind of recreate those things yourself, it's really hard to share that with a partner um, and teach them. Um, there are also you know you can also do there're also things like laser procedures or injections with i do a lot of as you probably know a lot of stem cell and and prp and sort of regenerative therapy injections where we actually can inject those tissues with stem cells and 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 growth factors and things to try and to bring now, in now that's that's, blood that's flow. a lot
1: of information right there so that so those are what is those, it? Are, yeah. those, those are,
0: <laughs> sorry those <laughs> fascinating are like,
1: i know you probably say those words all the time but like you said a lot of kind of like words that i normally might hear in a marvel movie <laughs> or something and do you mean you do all those things to like a female's vulva or do you do those to a man's penis or do you do them to both? And when you do do it, does it mean they get really aroused or what? How does it all work? And if I'm to go one layer back, what is a stem cell? Because in my head, as Dave said, it's like something out of a Marvel movie where I can like grow a new liver and put it in my body and then I got two livers.
0: Yeah, Excuse sorry, I talk really fast. I apologize. No, you're brilliant. Um- you're amazing. <laughs> So a stem cell is that they're the cells in your body that are are responsible for the repair and upkeep of all the different tissues in your body, Um, and they can replicate and then they can also turn into different types of tissue. So you have them everywhere, so that when you get injured, the stem cell kind of you know gets alerted and is like. You know, it signals to other cells, "Hey, we need to get some more blood flow over here. We need to grow more blood vessels. We need to increase collagen." Like it basically is kind of like the master, the master cell that can, you know that kind of conducts all of these things. And so we use stem cells, uh, and this is going to be different in different countries, and it's it's certainly different, you know, over overseas as it is in the U.S. But we can use stem cells from the patient, for instance. You have stem cells in your bone marrow or in your fat that are just kind of sitting there, not doing much, and we can take those cells um, out as a little as a little. Pre- procedure, and then we can move them to different things, areas of your body. So I essentially can eject stem cells from your fat or your um, bone marrow into your penis or into the vagina or clitoris um, or both. And, um, and then basically we're trying to uh, re- kind of create a regeneration, increase blood flow, increase um, the, the, the cells that uh, turn over in those areas um, and potentially, you know, just cause some healing if there's been some kind of uh problem over time that was caused by aging or whatever so essentially we use these procedures to try to improve um sexual health whether that's ed or that's problems with orgasm in women or that's problems with sensation or, or whatever it is
1: so wow. cool amazing to hear thank you for that that's that uh, sense really really and cool. I, I, the first thing that comes to my mind is it sore like just I, the idea of a needle going into uh, my penis is just like my head just goes oh Sorry. yeah
0: it's, not, it's actually that not sore image. at all and it's less painful than almost anything else i do it's, it's so funny wow. i do like because i'll do like scalp injections and other things and those can those can hurt but the penis injections actually they hurt like for a second i think it's more of like it's just more of a, it makes you squeamish and it feels like it should hurt but it actually doesn't
1: wow that one's good um can i move it back to so say like I remember reading, like I was, I was, I'm very interested in this topic of sex and relationships and all this type of thing. And I remember reading that like one of the more common things in female sexuality is lack of desire or lack of interest. And I'm just wondering if anyone's listening as a doctor, what are things that someone could do that's listening that kind of goes, okay, those are things that I can relate to. And I'd like to kind of, I'm curious about that. What are things that you might say to your patients on those topics?
0: I mean, I think you start with a good history. You know, a lot of times there's more going on than than anything physical. And you know, I'm not a sex therapist, but if there's if the the source of this could be anything, it could be you know, it could be relationship problems, it could be sexual trauma in the past, it could be feelings of guilt or shame. Or yeah, you know, there could be a lot of different things that would would warrant talking to a sex therapist or a you know a psychologist. Um, and that's sort of one set of things. Um, but then when you start thinking about sort of physical things, um, I, I always do a I do a kind of a complete blood panel so checking just all the you know all the major organs liver and kidneys and and blood counts and all you know thyroid function um checking your stress hormones like your cortisol as well as all your sex hormones um, because we can any you know any disruption in any of those things can manifest as lack of desire so you know it may be that that you have your thyroid hormones are are out of out of balance you have you know low thyroid potentially and you you may be having, you know, your actual symptom is that you have low sexual desire. And you wouldn't know that unless you actually checked your your thyroid hormone. So you kind of want to do just a diffuse amount of blood panel. Um, You want to do, you know, a good physical exam. And then after that, if everything's normal, then kind of diving into what else, you know, what else is going on? Like, how's your stress? Are you, how are you handling your stress? How, How much time are you with your partner? You know, are you scheduling sex? Like, you know, things like that, then you can start to kind of fine tune once you once you see that the physical,
1: it looks pretty good. Okay. Good tips there. I like that. Okay. An area which I think is really good to talk about, and I'm very curious of your views on it. Like, do you ever recommend to patients masturbation? Have you ever tried masturbating? How many times did you, no, like, or is that something like in terms of discussing this topic? Like I remember being teenage boys, it was never, it was always squeamish. No one ever talked about it, you know, and you know There were jokes that you'd go blind if you kept playing with yourself, you know. Yeah. Whereas whereas <laughs> over the last decade or two, I've certainly known the conversation has shifted, particularly as males, it was reasonably common. People had talked about wanking and masturbation and this type of thing. It was more common. But I know over the last 10 years, the conversation has become a lot more to the forefront in terms of women and pleasuring. I think that word pre- pleasuring is more used rather than masturbation. Could you talk about this and like, do you ever describe it to patients, prescribe it to patients or uh, yes? Yeah, please.
0: absolutely. That's a great question. Um, so yeah, I've, I've definitely had patients. um that have come in. Like I've had, I have a a, a memory of a, a, a one woman who came in and it was she was like in her fifties and she had you know four or five kids and she'd been married for for a long time, but she'd never been able to have an orgasm and she came to see me because she was wanting one of these you know injections like a, you know a, a stem cell injection or you know some kind of procedure, um, but I was talking to her. And as I'm talking to her, I, you know, I realized that she's, that she's never, she's only like looked at herself once. And that was because another doctor had kind of, had kind of made her like, like at least, you know, look at your like genitalia, your vulva, see what's going on. She had never touched herself um, or pleasured herself, as you say, because she had just grown up uh, with religious beliefs that that was, that was not okay. And, And so even though she'd been with her husband for 20 years, Um, she just had never done done any kind of experiment yet. She had no idea, you know, what felt good and what didn't. And so, you know, I just, I told her point blank, I'm, you know, I'm not going to do a procedure on you. Like you don't need a needle. You don't need a procedure. You need to spend some time alone with yourself. Like you just need to figure out what feels good. And that involves touching yourself, whether that involves, you know, I have some um, different, uh, they're not really, I don't call them vibrators. I call, you know, I have some like, uh, pelvic floor sort of devices that that are that are also kind of like vibrators that I'll that I'll prescribe patients um like this that will help with pelvic floor strengthening and things but they also can help with just bringing pleasure and so i you know i sent her out and i said i you know i don't i don't want to step on your your religious beliefs but if you actually want to see improvement in your sex life and in this, you know, your she's having you know relationship problems because of it, I said, I think what you need to do is just spend some time with yourself and 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 learn what make what makes you feel good. Um and you know, so I, I do tell patients that I think it's important. Um, I don't think that um, there's what the, happened
1: to the, her. What happened to her? Did she come back to um, me you glowing know, in a couple I, I of weeks? Always, I and don't go, know oh what my. happened
0: to her because I think I'm not sure if she went out and like was
1: like Dave's looking for a and... happy well wow. Yeah <laughs> that, that's right that, a that, weird conversation I, that sounds weird. I know yeah. <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> for a Walt Disney. This, pa- with
0: that patient, I don't know, but a lot of patients um they do go out. And if once they have a doctor say you should do this, then they feel better about it. And I think that that's what just that's all they're waiting for, some of them.
1: Okay, okay. And so what are your thoughts in general about like masturbation and in terms of like you know, all those type of things in terms of the conversation about it? Even aside from a doctor, what are your you know, for anyone listening that might be a bit squeamish about it, or has, or might have shame and guilt attached to it, yeah. What, 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 what would your thoughts as a doctor? That's as you said, you're not a sex therapist, not other thing. But what is yeah. your own experience with it and its function within, you know, a healthy sex life or just I health in general? I,
0: I think it's very helpful. I think the only, only time that masturbation becomes a problem is uh, mostly I see this in men is if you know you're sort of it becomes sort of an addiction, which is not it's not really an addiction, but if it's something that's getting in the way. Of your normal activities or it's getting in the way of your actual relate your sexual relationship with another person um then i would say pull back a little bit because sometimes that does happen with you know watching too much porn and and uh, masturbation and things like that but um but for the most part i think with both men and women it's a it's a completely healthy part of your sexual experience and i think that um that there's no reason that you should be ashamed of it. And from a medical perspective, there's a lot of talk, um, especially in men, I, I there's all these sort of circles of men now who you know don't believe in masturbation, and they're part of this whole movement. Um, and they but they they say that there are all these medical reasons behind not doing it. Uh, and really, there aren't there. Are no, there are no significant real medical reasons that you shouldn't be doing this. Um, it, there's it's all kind of garbage. So I say if it feels good, and you feel good about it, then then go for it.
1: That's a lovely one because I remember maybe it was in early 20s I remember someone mentioning I should read this book called The Multi-Orgasmic Man and I remember thinking oh, yeah. wow, this is it this is the Bible this is where I'm going to reach utopia or uh, nirvana via sexual pleasure woohoo I remember thinking this is amazing I remember reading it and getting really excited about it and it was all about saving one's not it wasn't all about but one of the practices was being able to orgasm without ejaculating and it was often right. referred to saving your seed and it was often kind of put forth that you know typically a man in his 20s should ejaculate maximum three times a week in your 40s once a week in your 50s whatever what, those cetera, numbers you're making right. is there any is there any beyond the whole spiritual and the taoist belief is there any actual science in terms of the benefits of saving one seed or not ejaculating and having sex and is there can you orgasm ejac- can you orgasm uh, without ejaculation as a male
0: Yes, you definitely can. You can, those, those two things are separate. So you can, you can orgasm without ejaculating. Um, but there's not a lot of good reason that you, that you have to, or that you need to. I think that there, there's, there have been um, one or two small studies that show that if you went, you know, at least three to seven days um, in between ejaculation that you might have an increase in testosterone levels for a period of time. Um, And I think that that's possible, but we also know that having sex increases testosterone levels. Um, So, you know, I'm not sure what to make of that. But aside from that, you know, even when it comes to like, fertility and and sperm health and all these other things, um, really somewhere in the like, you know, every two days or so is is probably um, healthier for, for sperm health and fertility than waiting a long period of time. Um, so there's, when you look at the body of evidence, there's not much. Most of it is based on like Taoist um, beliefs and things that are saying, you know, you're losing your energy and you're losing your, you know, all of these things. And, you know, and some men feel better not not masturbating or not ejaculating um, for a period of time and that's I think that's that's fine. Like if you feel better one way, that's great. But I don't think that it's something that you should feel bad about if the, if you don't you know if you're not if you're not that guy. If you feel better you know doing it every day, then that's fine too. Great. Yeah,
1: I, like that. I love it. okay. can we talk about orgasm? because I know I remember uh, a friend she said to us that one day her dad came down to the breakfast table and and he said, uh, girls, are you masturbating enough? Because I hear orgasms are really good for your health. So, so I'm kind of wondering about uh, orgasms. So, so like Is I know it's male this. male or female or overall? Well, it's easier for a male because it's typically, you know, it's very it obvious. seems quite obvious and it's usually associated with ejaculation, you know, whereas in women, I, my, I believe this clitoral orgasms and then there's also orgasms from penetration more to do with your G spot. Could you talk a bit about that? Like I said, that word G spot. So maybe you could talk about what that is, how it functions and about orgasms in men and women.
0: Okay. Yeah. So the G spot's actually kind of fascinating because um, there's a lot of debate in the, in the medical world on like what the G spot is, whether it's real first of all, and what it is as far as like what sort of actual tissue it is, if it's real and so there's all these different theories about the g-spot it, it's it's a whole rabbit hole that you can go down but but a lot of one of the theories is it's just the back of the clitoris so essentially the back of the clitoris is kind of meets the top of the you know inside of the vagina in this one spot and it's pretty sensitive so it may be that it's just the back of the clitoris or towards a part of that clitoral network that's probably the most common thing um people think of as the g-spot um there's also some glands in, in there called the skein's glands that have been they're kind of analogous to the prostate gland that's um, in that same area as well and and so some people think it's kind of hitting up against the skein's glands it's the g-spot um, and then the urethra also you know, there's a whole bunch of like anatomy things but what's interesting about the g-spot is that depending on the study that you look at, some people will say that the, the, the g-spot is you know like three centimeters inside the vagina and then for some people it's like eight. And so wow. that's like a pretty big difference. Like that's like a you know a five centimeter difference in where this spot is. Um, and then of course a lot of people don't even a lot of women don't even feel like they have a G spot. And so short version is we don't really know what the G spot is. And um, certainly orgasms can feel different depending on where what you're stimulating. But I think all of it has to do with the clitoris. Like, I think it's mostly the clitoris. You're, you're kind of approaching it from different angles, which is what causes different sensations. I don't think it's, um, probably related to much else, but, but that there's a lot of theories about that that are kind of interesting.
1: Cause, cause it's funny, like you look at movies and like, you know, the way Growing up, we would have watched movies and there's a sex scene and there's usually, you know, it's often depicted, you know, they've taken off the clothes and this is like a Hollywood movie. I'm not talking porn at all. And the the woman screaming with an orgasm, but there's no like clitoral st- signs of any clitoral stimulation. Like it's just yeah. purely if you were just watching movies and from standard culture, you would think, oh, all I've got to do is stick my penis inside a woman. And, you know, an orgasm is bound to happen. I just put my hips in and out. But exactly. it seems like, it seems like as they get older, you know, and the more society, like the, the clitoris is really, you know, that's where orgasms are. It, yeah, the home only, of it. only about
0: 25% of women will have orgasms just from penetration alone. Um, so that's like, you know, most people, most women need clitoral stimulation and, and you're right. Like a lot of the the movies and such, it's just like, oh, if I just, you know, kind of pump hard enough that this, this is going to be amazing for this person. And meanwhile, she's just laying back going, when is this going to be over? Um, (laughs) so you do, there are some nuance to it.
1: (laughs) Wow. And any kind of, for any kind of a female listening here is kind of going, I'd love to have an orgasm. It seems like this elusive destination that it's like, I've reached some sort of, you know, into some sort of a club. Are there, are there any, you know, thing that someone can do beyond becoming more aware, practicing self-pleasuring, understanding what you know or what you like. But is there anything else or tips that you'd recommend for someone listening that's kind of going, I'd love to actually experience this?
0: I mean, I, you know, certainly there are a lot of books out there about sex. There are a lot of, um, sort of video series and things that are about sex. There's a there's an app called Rosie, which is pretty new that is all about women and sort of helping to educate and and make uh give give information about sex. That's a kind of in a fun way. Um there's a, there's a lot of educational things. There are in-person clinics that you can do, you know, with sort of sex gurus where they hang out with you for the weekend. And, uh, do and I, yeah, I don't know, you're probably to keep your pants on for those ones. I actually haven't done one, but I've read about a lot of them. Um So I think that there are a lot of those kinds of things, but I think nothing beats, you know, buying some sex toys and, you know, spending some time just with yourself and seeing kind of what works. because there's all different, you know, the different toys, some, some will have sections, some will have vibrations, some will have heat, you know, there's all different sort of things that can be experimented with to see what works for you specifically.
1: It's yes, brilliant. brilliant. I love that. And, and what about, okay. So, you know, the way that a male and ejaculation is quite easy, whereas in a woman, I believe there is an ejaculation. Like, you know, I've heard there's a, you know, the slang term of someone who squirts or whatever. Is that right. true? What's the story about that? And can you talk more about that as a medical doctor?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's another thing that is uh, a little bit elusive um, in the medical uh, literature. Like there's, there's references to it for sure, but but people aren't quite sure what that fluid actually is. A lot of some of the fluid is probably urine. Like when they actually do analysis of these of this fluid, a lot of it is actually urine, and then some of it's fluid that's coming from those Skene's glands, which I mentioned are kind of like the female prostate glands. And the Skene's glands live kind of in that um, upper sort of vaginal above the vaginal uh, wall there. So, um, so yeah, so that is the, the sort of main uh, consensus is it's probably fluid coming from those Skene's glands um, as to why you know some people squirt and some people don't and you know how to do it and all of that um i I don't know that we know that for sure
1: wow it sounds very personal like it's very personal it seems like like all of us we're all very unique and similar in terms of how we experience sex or how we express ourselves in sex is quite unique and you know i don't think there's one size that fits all i'm do men at. do men have a schemes glands or is the equivalent to prostate in a male and the scheme glands is the equivalent oh a male female? g-spot that's the other one that i wanted to ask sorry I'm, oh um, yeah. or is so, that so, elusive yeah. so, as well so
0: with the with the male so the prostate gland is the equivalent to the schemes gland in men
1: and that's um, the perineum so that's, is it
0: yeah exactly so that's that's where the prostate gland is so it's it's in that that perineum area like you just said
1: okay wow. that's the g-spot wow okay cool excuse my ignorance uh, well, this has been great. Really interesting. I guess big takeaways are that sex is so related to your lifestyle. lifestyle is the, and sex is probably a huge indicator of your health. Like if you if you find you have less appetite, it could be down to stress or, you know, hormones or all these various things. And can you tell us, like, if anyone wants to learn more? Like obviously, you know you're very prolific on Instagram. You're brilliant. You've amazing content. Really enjoy and you're your so posts. personal. You're really personal. Uh, like you're I was re- also really admired the fact that you went off and did a course on blockchain. I'm like, Amy, you're amazing. <laughs> yeah, cryptocurrency. Because Steve's the type of crypto head. I just I find <laughs> oh, it fascinating. Yeah,
0: it's fascinating.
1: <laughs> yeah, it really is. Yeah. Really. So well done. So 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 it's Amy B on Instagram. Doctor, what's your handle on Instagram? We'll put it down below anyway.
0: It's Doctor Amy B. Killen on Instagram.
1: Yeah. And that's, that's a very good way to, to get your content. And then do you have any kind of final thoughts for anyone, like a final closing monologue, just a, a little kind of thing to, to psych anyone up in terms of sexual health and experience. Or longevity. Ooh. Or longevity. Or, or skin. It. But preferably uh, sex. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <Sorry. laughs> um, I think the, the main thing I like to, to tell people is that if you're having some kind of sexual problem, you know, like don't give up on yourself. There's so many cool things out there there's technologies there's things that we know that we didn't used to know there's things that we can advise you on things you can do at home things you can do at doctor's offices um that can kind can of kind of move the needle to help you have a better sexual experience so don't don't give up um it's never too late um and it's never too early to to learn about sex and how it can make you healthier
1: brilliant, brilliant. you're Amy, fantastic you're a joy eh? to talk to thank you thank you so much any any where can people obviously instagram is a place is there anywhere else where people can learn more about you
0: Yeah, I have some videos on YouTube at Amy Kellen MB. I think is my handle there, Um, and then I've got multiple websites. I can send you guys the the links to them. But uh, Dr. Amy Kellen is one of them, and then I have several clinics that I that I'm associated with as well that I have websites for.
1: Well done, you're amazing, and we didn't even talk about your your twin daughters. I'm sorry. How are your twin daughters?
0: My twin daughters are amazing and uh, they're, they're awesome. It's, it's fun to have fellow twins to talk to. Are they they very similar?
1: Are they very like, are they close? Are they different and in the same class?
0: You know, it's actually funny. So they're best friends. They're identical twins, um, best friends, but very different from each other. But and one of them is vegetarian, um, and one of them is not, which is which has created some interesting problems for me from a cooking standpoint. Um, but I was thinking about you guys, and I was uh, when I was thinking about this, I was like, oh, I should ask them how to handle the fact that I have one vegetarian daughter and one who's not, and then I have one son who's like a meat-itarian, I think. Wow. <laughs> so. But yeah, they're
1: great. <laughs> in, in terms of uh, like in our experience of twins, I think let them, they'll go through different cycles, but they'll generally, with, as with us, we always just came back together. It just, and I think it's to kind of allow them express, like maybe it's during teenage years, we both kind of wanted to find our own uniqueness. And then we realized our uniqueness is that we're twins. You know, oh, part that. of our uniqueness, part of our uniqueness, but what I love fun. that. What fun. I um, hope that
0: my girls are as close as you guys are when they get older because they, because they are now. So I hope they stay that way.
1: No, yeah, I, think, yeah. I think it's such a joy. It's inevitable to happen, and it kind of is like a gr- the greatest strength because you've always got someone that understands you and appreciates you and is there for you. So it's great. Yeah. Awesome. Pretty. A star, <laughs> <Amy>. yeah. <laughs> Thanks a million, Amy. Thanks so much. Really lovely to chat with you. And uh, it'll probably go up guys. in the next week or two, I'd say.
0: Okay. Awesome. It was nice meeting you.
1: Thanks, you Amy, too. Bye bye. Amy. bye, 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 bye. bye. That was so refreshing. Amy is just so technical, so on it, so. Just fabulous and progressive and open-minded. I really enjoyed that conversation. Yeah, I hope you enjoyed it. And I guess it's often quite refreshing to hear it all from a medical doctor who really is coming at it from the technical, biological point of view. And uh, I, I find that very encouraging. I hope you got lots out of it. Uh, this is the second episode in our series on sex and relationships, so hope you enjoy it. Uh, please let us know future guests in this space in terms of sexual health, in terms of relationships, in terms of connection, and how we can, you know, become better versions of ourselves. And a big theme on this podcast was about lifestyle and how lifestyle factors directly impact your sexual health. And as we said in the intro, our Happy Mind course it starts on the first of November, and it's all about forming the healthy lifestyle habits that underpin a healthy you and therefore a healthier sex life. So that starts the first November. November. You can find out more about that on the happy pairs. And once again, thanks for listening. Thanks for being part of this podcast. Big shout out to Shoni Cahill and to Sarah Fawcett, who produce and edit and upload this podcast. And finally, wishing you a good day, good week, good year, good moment. bye, 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 bye,